I just hit record and Brian has no idea what we're doing here. So, um, hi Matt. Hi Brian. How are you doing? Good, good, good. So we have Brian Mitchell with us and we have not prepped him at all for what we're going to talk about tonight. Just completely dark. Uh, I don't know. Should we start with, with the song conversation, Matt, or should we have Brian do an intro and, and, and introduce himself to our listeners in the world? Well, yeah. Okay. No song intro, but we do have Brian Mitchell. And what what's your main title now? Are you like spending most of your time at Arc? What's what exactly is Brian Mitchell up to on a nine to five <laughs> Monday through Friday? If you want to limit it to just nine to five, that's uh, <laughs> that's easy. Um, I work at Arc uh, Monday through Friday, uh, eight to five. Um, I'm an inside sales manager. I also do all the trainings, um, all the travel, everything else like that. But what about what about not nine to five or eight? Wait to five, nine to five. <laughs> At five, five o'clock, I leave and then I go to my store. So I have a small shop, um, and I'm there from you know on a normal day, five thirty to eight, uh, Monday through Friday, and then uh, nine to six, Saturday, Sunday. So the only thing that's different is if I'm going to a show or if I'm traveling or something. And then the shop is not open. So you having your shop, is that something that was there before ARC? It was. Yeah. Okay. Shop since 2004. And where is it located? Uh, Modesto, California. It's evolved into something different than what it originally was. Mm-hmm. Um, originally, we manufactured tower speakers, um, uh, fiberglass enclosures. So mm-hmm. Composites. Um, when the economy went to crap, uh, the boat market went to crap with it. Uh, Northern California used to about twenty five percent of the of the uh, boat market, and now it's a lot less than that. Uh, Wet Sounds came out with their products, such as e- it's easier to to um, package and, and move across country than our custom fiberglass ones were. So that kind of changed everything. Um, I've always done real high-end stuff, and even when we did the boats, I was doing Lambos and Ferraris in the shop for the customers who had the boats. Um, I hate working on boats. So, <laughs> in the world, Me too. I hate, hate working on boats. Um, but other than that, it's uh, so then it just morphed back into what I, I normally would do, and we slimmed down. Most of the other manufacturers in the boat market went out of business, and we kind of, you know, got through it so nice and for those of you at home who are not familiar brian also uh occasionally enters some car audio competitions there's one around known to occasionally do okay uh when did that start how did that start and um and go ahead and and brag a little let's see let's hear the list do you have more Uh, rings than tom brady i do (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I do. I have eight of them. I was going to wear one in each hand. Um, so I actually started competing in Cannes 
uh, and then the parking lot competitions in the 80s. Um, and then I got into it real heavily in 92 to 98 and went to finals every year for five or six years. Um, there was a lot of money that had to be spent back then to really be competitive. And at that time, I was a little short of those things. Um, so I always placed top five in my category, which is still pretty good. And uh, I think I got first in 93, so won that uh, final in 93. Um, and the rest of the time was just, you know, it's a top five. So I had that background, and then I, we started putting on a lot of shows. So we were putting on eight to ten shows a year, uh, mostly with a better um, uh, circuit. So I had all that going for me, and then in 98, I decided to retire, get out of it, and was out of competition completely until 2012, came back in 2012. And what, what car was it in 2012 that you brought out? Uh, the Chevy Cruze, the Black Cruze, which ended up ended up being the zombie killer car, which most people recognize it from that. I, I, you know what's crazy? I don't remember having seen it, and then Matt started showing me pictures of it last night, and I was like, oh, damn. <laughs> There's a lot, of, a lot of work in there. Uh, so what, was, what, what made that really unique when I, when I brought it out was that there was an East Coast Finals and there was a West Coast Finals. And West Coast Finals was first, and then... East Coast Finals. So up till that time, the West Coast people just stayed on the West Coast, and the East Coast people stayed on the East Coast, and East Coast was the bigger finals. So I went to finals on the West Coast two weeks before. The judges came out. They judged the car. They had racing stripes. The install was very similar. And there's a week driving time in to get to the East Coast with the trailer. And I came out with that same exact car, all done with the zombie killer car, so the plastic dip, the airbrushed, the whole new install, everything in a week. Wow. Did you did you have some of that already in the bag that you all of it. it was all pre done, everything with the plastic dip <laughs> and the airbrushing. So I, I awesome. had bought a new hood, bought a new uh, trunk lid, so those were all manufactured. Um, did the big splitter, which was a road sign. One of my buddies worked for a city over here and they had some old road signs. So cut that out into the splitter saw blade splitter and, and and completely redid the install too again it was all yeah it was very similar so it just had to be installed so we had uh, a week of sleepless nights and then you know instead of taking a week to get there i think we took three days because we were rushing a little bit to get there and then pulled that out at the east coast finals and nobody knew what to do <laughs> totally caught everybody off guard that's awesome so i i think it a couple times uh, during the podcast, Matt, Matt and I have kind of referenced cars that that kind of set the bar and really kind of show what can be done and, and kind of our reference for great sounding vehicles. And your name and your Cadillac have come up multiple times as kind of something that obviously it's it's done very well competing and it, um, it really is an amazing amazing sound system and that's why we we really wanted to have you on we've spent the last uh two or three episodes of the podcast where we have we've been trying to help kind of those consumers that are on a really really tight budget and really want to get the best sound they can out of a car 
for minimal, minimal money. And we spent a couple of weeks kind of diving into what Matt and I would do. We, we were kind of based around like a $3,500 budget. Mm-hmm. And Matt and I kind of started having some conversations. And then we reached out to some other people to kind of get their input and how they would approach and what they thought was the most important thing. And, we, you know, we all end up with the same thing. We have to be putting as much of the budget into a great set of front speakers as we can. We have to, you know, be very minimal on labor and modifications. And we're probably, we we all agreed that we wanted to get a DSP or a DSP amp into the system as a building block. And um, if that meant a prefab box had to be in there for now, that's, that's fine. And it kind of got us going. And what we really wanted to do is we really wanted to kind of flip that. Yeah, flip it. A complete 180 in the other direction. And, and talk to you about helping people that are listening understand what it takes to build a car at the level of what you're building to compete with. And what of those things are that diminishing return? Right. Right. Like we to can where you still a get a return sign. on your investment. Right. And at what point are you doing it? Because it's literally going to make it 0.001% better. And you need to do that because you want to make sure you win. Like how much of that? That's the conversation we want to have. And that's why we didn't want to tell you. We didn't want to prep you for it. We wanted <laughs> right. to get it right off of it. And I think we still I think we still want to keep the design practical, right? So obviously you've always been known to, you know, you go all in when you compete, right? So you flip everything upside down and you really just put things where it needs to go for the most part. You make it fun, seeing your build progress right now of what you're doing, which again, I mean, that's just like it's insane, right? Yeah, it's, we're we're all sitting here. If you guys don't know, Brian has another project. I don't know how much he's he's really shared with everybody. Yeah, it's all, he has it's another, all open. It's all on, online. Okay. Yeah. He he has another project he's working on and it is absolutely insane and we're all just like floored by it. It's uh it's literally if you could if you could build a car around an audio system, right. that's what he's doing. Yeah. Exactly. Um, that's yeah. So sure. basically within what we're going at today is in the practical sense of a car with traditional speaker placement, how are you designing a system if there is really no budget, uh, but you are stuck with pretty much the constraints of the car? Um, this doesn't mean we can't build pillars and things like that. This just means we can't like rebuild the dash and put put subs in the dash and all that kind of stuff. So no no real budget, but also try and think about where the the level of importance and prioritizing, you know, what's important when you start building that high-end system. I'm I'm going to throw one one constraint in here okay. to kind of keep it realistic. How many billable days did you have on the Escalade? Oh, but that that's kind of I, unrealistic. It was a lot of... I, it, it was. was, thir- it was thir- 37. 37 days. So, but that so, was also with radar, laser, yeah, a bunch of so, other stuff in there too. So just so that Brian doesn't spend six years building a car here okay. on yeah. the podcast, right? Think of it as you've got four to six weeks, four to eight weeks to to turn out a car if you were doing it eight hours a day. Yeah, because the Escalade was kind of the same concept. It wasn't really a budget constraint sort of deal. We still had to kind of keep it, we had to keep it practical. It's a daily driver. It's got to be usable. You know, we pretty much to use factory locations. We added two weights in the front door, 
um, but it's still practical, right? It still looked like a door panel. It's the pillars weren't intrusive. They weren't the pillars weren't even on access as far as the mids go. So like the practicality was still there. It still felt like a car. Still felt like an Escalade. Uh, so that's kind of like what we're after. Whereas before, you know, we had Bing on, we had Ray on, uh, we had Justin Cush on, and they all kind of tried to design this $3,500 system. And it was fun because you got to see how each installer kind of prioritized the budget, you know, how much of its sound treatment, because that's important, you know, all these different things. And in a case where you can build a car with really expensive gear, what are you prioritizing and what's the most important and all that kind of stuff. Well, okay. That makes it um, interesting. Now I got to start with, this might be a little bit um, different than what you're expecting. Okay. Um, so I'm going to go through uh, the basic layout of the last three, my last three cars, all of which won world championships. Um, the cruise was multiples sort of like the, the ELR now. Um, ELR has been the pinnacle because every time I do a car, I learn from the last car and, and try to do something different. But the basic of the system is the same. It's a six, four tweeter. All of those cars have used door location, a factory door location, which is definitely a, um, it's a weak point of, mm-hmm. of the car. Um, the crews had uh, 212s and a traditional um, you know, sub-location in the trunk. Uh, the Volt had a single 12 and a hatchback. And the ELR started out with 215s, um, again, looking for that you know, that next evolution up. And has and has been, for the last three years since it's been as competitive as it is now, uh, has been a single 10 in the front. So... As far as the design concept, all of those still basically follow the same one. Four mm-hmm. tweeter in the pillar, not a three in the tweeter, a four in the tweeter, and a six inch in the door. So if I was going to do a car that I had more room to work with, it would definitely be an eight in the kick panel, um, just because of, you know, door panels are so... Resonance, yeah. They make a lot of noise. Um, kick panel eliminates a lot of those problems. Um I haven't been fortunate enough to have a car that the kick panel locations are and what I feel um, is, a, is going to be good enough on the install side. So mm-hmm. just balancing those things on um, points as far as what the install guide, uh, you know, the, the rule book wants us to have uh, and how to maximize those points on the install side and still get the ultimate as far as what I can get for sound. Um, so pillars are, are the huge, you know, part of that system. The four does almost all of the heavy lifting in the system for audio. Um, the tweeters are there just for that upper end sparkle. Mid bass is there just to fill in between the sub, and the sub does, you know, what the sub does. Um, I'll go over a couple of tricks on the Cadillac that people probably don't understand. Um, that makes it a little different than what everybody's used to. The sub. When you look at almost all the cars out there that do an upfront sub, they do an upfront sub that points out. This one doesn't. It points down to the floor, and it's tunneled up through the back of the dash. So where actually you start hearing sound of it is all the way out in front of the dash. So it's a huge advantage um, on the base side of it. The base, uh, the mid bases don't have to work very hard. 
they have that small little bandwidth that they're playing. Um, between that and the fours and how good the fours work together with, with all these systems, um, the audio side of it's really easy. It's the install side of it's a little tougher. In in a couple of things that you touched on, and I mm-hmm. want to kind of try to relate this to not just like a competition aspect, but for mm-hmm. guys that are building cars at home or, or having stuff built at shops, understanding um, if we maybe take a couple minutes to go over kind of the pros and cons of that door location versus a kick panel. Right. And I'll start with the, the two obvious things for me are that the, the work to do some sound treatment in a door, build a solid baffle, and use a factory location is clean and cosmetically we don't have to modify the car. You don't necessarily have to see that something was done. Um, with the big trade-off being a lot of cars have a null in the driver's seat and using that using the kick panel location usually ends up being a lot better from a response in the driver's seat. That's that's the big thing. But from a cost perspective, I've got to I've got to just throw a ballpark out that to do a set of kick panels properly, you know, whether you're venting them to the outside of the car or getting enough airspace to to not put a huge peak in the response, you're probably going to spend, depending on who's doing it, somewhere between $1,500 and $3,500 to build a set of kick panels where you're probably going to spend, you know, a day's worth of labor to do a nice set of door baffles and and a good amount of sound treatment in a door. What's, what's your thoughts on um, I agree with you on the kick panels. Um, I have a, a guy that uh, helps me out at the shop, and he's a real good friend. And he's been competing this last couple of years, and he's redoing his car right now. And you know, um, he's worked with me enough that he's you know really stepping out and doing some high end stuff on his car. Um, his name's Robert Boyd, and he just did kick panels in his in his challenger. Um, he asked me some questions about you know what I would do if it was me, and then he went to town on it. Now he has probably got 35 hours in the kick panel, but they are beautiful. I mean, and that's what you got to have. Um, uh, he wanted some grill designs and I was a little bit, uh, uh, busy on the laser. So he had uh, John Brettel who does, you know, the yep. grills, did some grills for him that made it to those. So you add another five hours on for just a grill to make it yep. look right. So you're, you know, he's probably going to have 40 hours billable hours just in a kick panel. Now, the null, well, you know, we were going to talk about on the door speakers, um, almost always on the null is because there's not enough opening on the, the grill for a factory door. So it's one of the things that in all my cars, if I'm going to compete with them, is I open up that grill material. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it can it can push out of there because otherwise, it, um, those little holes that the factory puts in there, you get sound out of it, but... It's like a crossover. It's it's it crosses over the, the speaker and you'll get cancellation inside the door panel before it ever gets out. That's why when you're if you're testing and you have the door panel off, you're like, man, these things are gonna rock and they put the door panel on <laughs> Oh man, that's not quite so good. Mm-hmm. I, I gotta say one of the things that's probably overlooked uh, on the speakers and amplifier, uh, you know, everybody's thinking about those parts, uh, sound ending. I was gonna spend the most money out of everything, and, and I had a small amount of money to spend, it would be sound dampening first. Yeah, Gary and I have touched on that a lot in the past. Is The most important thing is resonance control, mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, that's that's 
that's the single one thing that limits what the equipment can do, yeah. right, in a sound quality install. Yeah. Because the second you hear any kind of resonance, you're you're locating yeah. where that's coming from, yeah. and it's killing the whole sound stage. Yeah. And that's what makes some cars so special because you're getting the full potential of the equipment without hitting the resonance. And that's when you're like having this real concert experience versus like, oh, it sounds like an audio system. Because, you know, some cars, and I always kind of explain this to each client, is like some cars are just going to hit a natural point of resonance where there's really nothing that you can right. do yeah. unless you make drastic changes, yeah. right? You know, like a lot of uh, BMWs, if you're using that under seat mid base, a lot of times it resonates like the seatbelt tensioner. Yeah. And you're going to hit a natural spot to where you have to cap what those underseat woofers can do. Yeah, if you're swapping them out with different ones, technically they could play way louder and you can get more out of them. But at the end of the day, you kind of have to cap it to where that resonance is going to hit. So when you can kind of control that, and again, a lot of it's sound treatment, if you can control that and control the resonance in the door panel, and again, some, some cars you just can't, like uh, Gary and I have talked about like a Porsche 991 a lot where those door panels are just always a resonant factory so thin. and yeah, so thin and there's so many plastic on plastic pieces and there's just not, a, you can only do so much. Yep. And sometimes when you pull those off from the factory, you can tell that the customer actually complained about the door panel because you can see that Porsche went in there, you know, some service guy went in there and just like taped a bunch of stuff down. Mm -hmm. Just because like of foam, foam yeah, just have, exactly. Just that on yeah. yeah, so I mean, like that is the single one most important thing, and I think that's that's probably one of the biggest deciders of what makes a SQ car special because you are truly maximizing Ooh. what the equipment can do without having that resonance. Yeah, I agree. So uh, that's. For a lot of places when they're building cars nowadays, um, they, that's a secondary thing. Oh, we might throw some sound dampening in there. Like, a, I won't even do door speakers on any car unless I'm treating the doors. It, it, I mean, it just, to me, I'm putting a set of coaxials in doors, which, you know, if a customer wants coaxial, put coaxials in doors, but they're going to have to have some treatment to the doors as well. And, and I get a good result, and I get people to come back because... It always sounds good. So, yeah, and and it's one of the really interesting things when we were having all those budget conversations is that it really you can really get a lot out of what some people a lot of people have this like oh I need the best speaker I need the top of the line in each brand and it's really it's really sad when we see customers come in with you know whether it's utopias or or k2s or like somebody's high-end speaker and there's no real work or no productive work done to control resonance and it's like yeah. you could have gone with speakers that literally cost a quarter as much treated the doors correctly and you would have much better sound and it's it's some people just don't they just don't get it and it it's sad sometimes yeah, most most people are more than happy with the mid-level speakers. Um, uh, and and I have a, I have one display in my in my shop when people come in, and, and most people don't even go see the display. They just bring the car and drop it off, and they come pick it up. That's they tell me what they want to spend, and they know that I'll give them you know the best experience for what they want what they want to spend. But every once in a while, somebody wants to hear something, and I have a small display with good amplifiers on it. And I have 
level speakers and I have mid-level speakers. And we start out with the mid-level speakers, then we get a very quick, and then we go to the high-level speakers, and then we go back down to the mid-level speakers. And some people want to have that small difference between the, the mid-level and the high-level, so there's that customer that wants that. But a lot of people, if they had never heard them, they would say the mid-level ones weren't what they want. They want the, the more expensive ones. And and then you can, once they've figured out that they can, they don't have to spend as much money on ease, they might be able to spend it more on sound dampening that they weren't expecting. Um, it's going to give even better results out of that mid-level speaker. Um, some people want to spend as much money as they this you want to spend for them usually but yeah when when given the choice we'd all rather install the best gear that we could yeah. but we can also make mid-level gear sound really good like it's I, sure. I feel like there's such a, a a stigma between this whole like everybody reads a lot of stuff online and they get into this like audiophile <laughs> drama mm-hmm. where like whatever whatever it is the equipment's going to fix it and the equipment's going to make it better and it's usually not the equipment that's screwing up the sound. It's usually either poor tuning or no tuning. No tuning. Right. No that's processor. like when people say speaker X, like if it's a decent speaker, it could be any brand, but like say it's a decent speaker, mm. like an upper echelon brand or upper echelon model of that brand. And they're like, man, that speaker sounds like shit. I'm like, yeah. come on, dude. Yeah. Take any, any speaker. I mean, you could take, you know, not to just throw brands out, but like a JLC one or an Alpine, you could make that sound good, yeah. right? <laughs> you apply some sound treatment, some good equalization, proper time. You can make that sound really good. And again, the biggest argument I always go to is like manufacturers do it with paper and plastic speakers with, you know, terrible, dirty power, little power, yeah. and they make cars sound pretty good, right? So yeah. obviously, if you take a speaker made of like even terrible components based on uh, what aftermarket materials would be, it's still going to sound far superior than anything that the factory would provide if it's tuned correctly. Yeah, when, It's simple. When I go out and do uh, trainings at the stores, uh, most of the stores aren't using the most expensive stuff. I mean, the guys online that you see and here and there, you'll see all the super expensive product, but we all know that the low-level and mid-level lines sell much more than the high-level lines. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm a big believer in, in the whole, uh, you know, DSP can do a, it can fix problems. It can, I mean, it's, it's a black box of magic, but you know, uh, if you if you can put a small DSP in to even the least expensive stereo, man, you can usually exceed the customer's expectations by you know, moonshots. Uh, mm-hmm. If you understand how to use the DSP, mm-hmm. and that's really what it comes down to is understanding that it's not a black box magic. It's you know, it's <laughs> it's just a tool. Um, yeah, and DSPs have come down so much in price. You know, uh, entry level DSP is two hundred fifty, three hundred, fifty dollars now. Yeah, I was I always find it quite comical when you know I talk to a client. Uh, cause I get a lot of YouTube calls and things like that. So like there, there'll be people that call from like California and they're just asking questions of like system design. And they're like, yeah, I got all this stuff set aside. 
I'm like, so what, what shop are you going to go with? And he's like, oh, I'm just going to install it myself. And, you know, it's a DSP. And I'm like, so you're familiar with, you know, a DSP? Do you have an RTA? And like, yeah, I have an RTA. And I'm like, well, you know, to be honest with you, I'd really urge you to take it to a reputable shop, you know, because even most people in our industry don't even know how to tune a DSP. Right. You know what I'm saying? So like, yeah. I know sure as fuck that you're not going to be able to tune it yeah. and you have some good stuff. So like, don't let that go to waste. Don't have a bad taste in your mouth of what this equipment can do. Find a reputable person, hopefully somebody around you. But yeah, I mean, it's it's tough for a lot of consumers because there's a lot of shops that just can't tune a DSP. And Gary and I, and we've mentioned to you numerous times, not not being able to how to tune it, but like when we go to like Knowledge Fest or SEMA or CES and, you know, you have the opportunity to sit in different cars, right? Sometimes I don't like doing that because I can't like fake my expression. So like if it sounds bad, I think you're going to know I think it sounds bad. And Gary had, a, you know, we, we had talked and Gary said, you know, when you go into a car, knowing the car and the equipment that's in there, you have a certain expectation. Yeah. And if your expectation's not exceeded, you're going to be disappointed, right? Yeah. So um, it has to at least match your expectation. And anytime that we ever have sat in one of your cars, it's exceeded our expectation, right? We go in with a certain expectation. It should... It should sound really good. Things should be where it's supposed to be. I shouldn't be able to pick out any placement of the drivers. You know, if I if I close my eyes, I'm going to have that just organic soundstage that's very natural. Right. And it's always like that when we've sat in your car. Yeah, I was going to say when when I last listened to Brian's car last year, like I had very high expectations. We we joke that the you know you you hear that a guy's got four fifteens and you just expect that it's going to blow your freaking eardrums out. Um, when you have the guy that says I got two eights, it's more impressive when the two eights like absolutely slam and you're and and you're not expecting it. Your car obviously you go in with super high expectations like this this should blow me away and and it does and it and it it exceeds those expectations. But there's a lot of cars where you go in and you're like. This car is in a manufacturer's booth. It mm-hmm. is what they're using to display their product. And you get in it and you're listening to what has got to be ten to $15,000 worth of gear and install. You know, and, and some of that is arts and crafts and some of it is, <laughs> is meant for sound, yeah. right? But you, you see these cars that have a lot of money wrapped into them. And then I think back to cars that we've done that are in that Thirty-five hundred to five thousand dollars range. Sound better. Sound better. Yeah. Yeah. Sound significantly. There's been so many times when I've done a car in that, like, say if it's a sound effects job and it's like a, it's not like a music job, it's a sound effects job, but it's like that three to five thousand dollar range, and I'm like, fuck, this sounds awesome. (laughs) Like this thing would get so much attention at like a knowledge fest because of its price point. Like this sounds fucking amazing. And like I said, anytime that we've ever went, I, there's one occasion where I, t- I, I don't want to give too much information away, but I did tell one vendor close to me that I'm like, you got it. Like j- you can show the insult, but don't fucking de- do not demo this thing <laughs> because you, you just, you don't want to. So I get around a lot and I'm at a lot of shows and I make it, uh, whether it's a competition show or a vendor show, I try to get out and listen to all the other cars. Um, I enjoy music. I enjoy someone's mm-hmm. interpretation of what 
um, what they think it should sound like. And I have had times where I said, I probably wouldn't turn this on. And I'm very straightforward. And I've also uh, helped um, other manufacturers to try to get the cars to sound what they should sound like. Because mm-hmm. I think that especially at a trade show, I would much rather be there. If there's 20 cars there, I would rather have 20 cars that all sound awesome to show the customers that this is what it's supposed mm-hmm. to sound like. And when I say customers, I'm talking about dealers because there's a lot of dealers that don't go listen to all the cars. So their experience and their reference could be some crappy sounding car. And that's what they're going to go away with. They're going, man, I'm doing great because I I can make a car sound just as bad as this one does. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So um, I I would like to see all of the, the manufacturers before the show say, come on over and listen to my car and tell me whether I need to do something because maybe they're having a bad day or the guy who built it for them because most manufacturers aren't like us where I'm building cars most of the time or I have good guys that are building the cars. Um, Some of them are just finding the closest local dealer to the show. Yeah, yeah, and that's the big thing. Like A lot of it is convenience, like, hey, we need a car to fill the booth and here's a local dealer and you know we'll bring it in, but Again, the problem with that as well is like you're there selling your equipment, you're selling your brand and other people are jumping like, you know, I'm not a dealer of certain brands and I still go around and listen to other brands. And if I'm blown away, I'm blown away. And I'm like, shit, maybe I should fucking care. You know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? And it's, it's unfortunate when you do have cars that just sound God awful and you're like, why are they playing this? Like, it's not, it's not helping your brand. Yeah, and like I said, I, I've I have friends at most of the other manufacturers, and you know, like I said, I'm you know kind of blunt sometimes. And if I over listen to a car, I you know, tell them. Yeah. Most of those manufacturers now send people over to listen to to my car um, or whatever we have in the booth. I think we've gotten to a point with some manufacturers that they go, "Hey, we want to bring everybody up," which is great. That's what we all need to do. It's all the manufacturers, all the dealers. Um, I help out dealers in my own town, even though I'm a small dealer and it's not really a competitive thing, but I'll go over there and, and help them out with cars all the time because I don't want any end user customer. If you're a customer and you get a bad uh, taste in your mouth, please don't think that it's every dealer, um, you know, because there are good dealers out there. And, and if you get a bad experience, then maybe try to find a, another dealer through uh, referrals from manufacturers and things like that. Um, because I, I want to see everybody, all the dealers, all the manufacturers come up to a level where we're all proud to go out there and, and, and sell whatever we're selling. Cause there's plenty of business out there. I think business slowed down because so many cars are coming out of shops, not sounding good. Mm-hmm. I mean, look how many people go and travel for both of your guys' um, you know, shops that travel from all over the country to go there. I, I think there's two things to that. And I've seen both both different clients is you have one set of client that has had bad experience, but they know that it could be good. So they, they travel or you have, you know, the age of where we're at in society where you just literally, you do over research, you find proof of concept, right? Like I've made this analogy before. If if I'm trying to get a a Dyson vacuum, you know, I'm going to go on Amazon or wherever, look at a thousand reviews and pick the vacuum that has the least amount of bad reviews of people slamming <laughs> it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm like, 
I'm probably going to be happy with this one. Let's go with this one. But you do like so much research before you do it. And the cool thing about like the stuff we do on YouTube and things like that is, you know, you're building rapport with the customer. So I feel like every client knows you before they even talk to you on the phone or before they come to your shop. They, they already trust you. They already know you. They feel like they, they know your work. They've seen proof of concept over and over with different vehicles. So they know they can just make the trip once and call it a day, you know, that they're not going to have a bad experience. So we've seen both sides where people have had the terrible experience with other shop and just people that do over research and they don't want to have a bad experience. Yeah, I've had to deal with that lately a couple times where I, I have some customers that do so much research and are so focused on the wrong aspects of building a sound system. I mean, obviously, that's part of the reason we do this podcast and part of the reason we have these conversations and these system design conversations. It's like when you see what the Internet tells people to buy, right? Like it's so stressful it's stressful when i see customers that have if people that probably have hundreds of hours into researching everything they need to know about putting a system in and then still get it so wrong <laughs> so so wrong uh yeah, i'm i'm online in different forums um i i used to get on a lot more and then i had to cut back because um, you'd give somebody good advice and then somebody will come behind you and just it would say stuff that as a, as a learned individual, you would not, you should not be telling somebody who doesn't, you know, doesn't understand, uh, doesn't understand what you're trying to say. Um, sometimes you have to talk to the level of customer that you're dealing with. And some of these customers are basic, some of them are SPL customers and they only know certain keywords. So you got to keep it like that and uh, but yeah i i stopped uh, chiming in so much and um, my life has been probably better off (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah it's it's tough i mean i feel i feel bad for those guys because there's so much there is so much information out there and it's hard to know where what you need to achieve what you need and i've said this to matt before like there, if, if you think of being an audiophile or open that up to like enjoying music, right. which most people enjoy yeah. music, right? That's a spectrum, yeah. right? Like there's there's one end of that spectrum, which are guys that spend time actively listening to different aspects of music and trying to hear the difference and hear the detail. And they're actively educating themselves on how to hear the difference in that music. Correct. What that guy needs in a system is very different from the guy who's like, my system has no bass and it sounds tinny and it sounds like garbage. Yet that guy doesn't understand which of all of those steps that you take to build a car are important to get that basic sound. And then it becomes this difficult process for them. So here's what I try and do, Gary. I try and make everyone, and I hate the term audiophile because I think it's kind of dumb. Because yeah, it's, it's at the end of, of the basket. day, yeah, at the, so like with video, right? Every human on the planet enjoys 4K or knows about HD and stuff you see on TV, right? They can easily discern the difference between 720p, you know, VHS, 1080p, 4K. Like they see the difference. They're not a videophile. They can see the difference, right? <laughs> right. Um, with audio, 
you either know it's fucking real or it's not. That that's <laughs> it, right? You could be 87 years old with a hearing aid and that lady can tell if she's hearing something through a speaker or if somebody's standing in front of her. Mm-hmm. And if somebody's having a conversation in front of her and they start walking around in two seconds, if I guess she has equal hearing in both ears, she can point exactly where you're at in, in a second, right? And that's, that's kind of what I always tell each client on the phone is like, if you and I were talking in person right now, the dynamics of my voice, you would know I'm, I'm there in person. If I start walking around with your eyes closed, you could point me out in two seconds. You can localize me just like that. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's not being an audiophile. That's just, that's literally hearing, yeah. right? And one version sounds like it's coming through speakers and it's fake. And one version sounds realistic. And that's, that's what we do. Right. And the amount of money you spend and the time you spend on the system is really dialing in to get that realism. And at the end of the day, there's many people that have never understood or been in front or in a car that is sound that, that sounds exactly how some of the cars that we built sound right. And that's the difference of like somebody who loves watches, right? So if you have a Breitling or, you know, Rolex and you collect watches, you enjoy that because you, you know, you look at the detail and you, you know, you're infatuated with watches because you've developed that hobby and that lust over the watches. So the same thing I try and do with audio, if you've never heard an audio system, I want to make your uh, your supplemental income to audio because you'd love it though, that much. And you understand that this is something that you really enjoy and you spend money on it. And the next time you do a system, it's going to be more than the one before. And now it's just going to become a, a, a lifestyle choice. And by by doing that and giving that experience, it's just creating that audio file customer, just somebody who enjoys and appreciates that. Because, you know, Gary and I have said many times on this podcast that when you can properly do a car and you have the pressure, the dynamics that that car and that small space can provide, and you can have the clarity that you lack in a venue where you have reflections and it's kind of sometimes hard to hear what the artist is actually saying based on the reflections in the room, you know, you can really make that sound like you're literally in the studio isolated and there are, there are no reflections. There's just that very isolated vocal with the instrumentation and it sounds real. And there's moments in which you wouldn't envision these noises or frequencies coming from speakers because it seems impossible, right? You know, some of the things that we listen to, it sounds like the fucking dash should be ripping in half. And you're like, how is a speaker creating this noise? But when it's done correct, it's just a whole life-changing experience. I totally agree. Now, there's, I have found that customers have different, I mean, not everybody wants um, a front stage only. Um, And they don't want it to just sound like you're in front of them. They want to be in that concert. They want to be in the middle of the concert. Um, So... I, there's a lot of guys who are so focused on one thing. And I, I believe that you qualify the customer whenever you see him. If a customer wants to be in that where he's got a lot of sound all the way around him, it's probably not the correct, you know, uh, reproduction of the recording, but 
if that's what he wants and he's paying the bill, I'm going to give him exactly what he wants. Um, and still clear and, you know, good dynamics and impact. And there's nothing wrong with that, I don't believe. And I tell him, don't take this to a competition because this is not a competition winning system because there's a rules and, and you got to have that. And, and I think that's where the problem comes in. People, um, they will give them what the customer wants, which is exactly what they should do, and then send them out to the sharks and, and let them go to a show and say, now, you know, you, you're going to win first place with this because you spent a whole bunch of money and they didn't, they didn't read the rule book. So it's like sending them out to a NASCAR track and tell them they can turn right. Right. You can turn right. You just so, can't do it in NASCAR. <laughs> what What are the big differences between a a competition system from a from a tuning standpoint, or like what's what's your take on it from someone that lives in both worlds of building, you know, consumer cars, working in a manufacturer, and competing? Yeah. What do you see as those like key differences and and how you approach those things different from a customer's car to a competition car? Um, so I think it's a, it's like Matt explained, it's the details, um, where if I'm, if I'm doing a competition car, I know someone's going to sit in it and they're looking for the details. It's not, it's the whole, the whole package. So, uh, they're looking for the watch, but they're looking for the, 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 the watch right. to be etched and they're looking, you know, so all of right. those details and the sound have to be there. Um, you know, there are some very small details in music that get lost in a regular system. Um, it, you know, I, I get some songs I listen to, and I'll jump in a car with a stock stereo in it. I'll go, man, this sounds great. You know, I'll, I'll rent a car, and I'm traveling someplace, and some song will come in I hadn't heard. And I'll go put it in, in my car, and I go, oh, my God, this thing is the horrible, most horrible recording I've ever heard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is, this is just not good. Um, and, and yeah. then I'll stick a recording that I use in my car that I just, it, it gives me goosebumps or, you know, right, right. and I'll stick it on a regular system and I'll go, oh my God, this is, this sucks. I don't know how to listen to right. it. So I approach it like that, that in a, in a consumer car, some consumers want that. So if they're willing to pay for that time that it takes to get those details, um, there are times when I put systems in a car that shouldn't sound as good as they do. And, you know, you go, well, crap. Now, <laughs> what do I do? Yeah. Um, and, and you look out, you know, some cars are just, they have good acoustics. The speaker positions, you know, factory may be really good. Um, you know, we all know guys that work for OEMs, and most of those guys are pretty damn smart. So, you know, they don't do that, uh, you know, accidentally. Um, yeah. usually they're it, budget it's, constraints. It's funny to me too, how, how good some of the newer cars are and how bad some of the newer cars are. I can't believe that, that they can't, that the OEMs aren't more consistent with their sound. And even the, the, the providers, I have a few recently that I've listened to factory systems, this is mm-hmm. factory premium systems yeah. where the same company is building the gear behind the scenes. And the only difference is the car manufacturer that's supplying the vehicle and supplying the, you know, the request. This is where our speaker placements are and this is our budget, right? Yeah. And premium system to premium system, like such a difference 
and coming from the same manufacturer of the components, the same group is doing the tuning on the cars, and one is great and one is terrible. It's so weird to me. So um, I was talking to uh, Ken Ward, a friend of mine, and he asked me about what the system in the Cadillac sounded like before I started. And I go, this this car was amazing. It did incredible. Um, it was hard to get stereo out. It sounded so good as an audio file. Didn't have enough volume, lacked a little bit in bass, but not very much. It was really good. Now, every single key that car has, my ZL1 had in it. And it was the worst sounding stereo that I've ever had. So it had exactly the same speakers, exactly the same amplifier, basically the same head unit. And that sounded horrible. Um, so, again, which is you know, the tuning or whatever they're, whoever's in charge of saying, putting their stamp on it that says okay is not doing the job on the OEM side of it. So Yeah, it's like the guy that bought the... Uh you know, the high-end speaker set and said, it sounds like shit. <laughs> <laughs> it just, yeah. it yeah, wasn't so set up very good. good. Exactly. But, but, you know, the, most of the ones that sound bad are on the high-end cars. I mean, the low-end cars, you don't expect much from the stereo because it's free. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, part of the car. But when you get in the premium system and the premium system doesn't sound better than the, than the lower-end system, I, mean, I guess that's what keeps us in business. So, I mean, I hope they don't make them keep the sound so what's your preference on subwoofer enclosure setup in just a in a regular build right so say you're doing a a high-end a high-end system how are you setting up the sub in an optimum set um sealed um i i I agree with that yeah if if i'm going with big woofer in the trunk it's a upper end sq build i'm uh do a free air probably just because of the enclosure volume. Um, mm-hmm. And it would take up too much space. Really the trade off mm-hmm. there, if you're doing a free air versus sealed, I think you have control over it. Mm-hmm. Free air, um, you get a little bit lower extension, but you also lose control over it, you know, high power. So the, mm-hmm. the new one that I'm building, I, I can put the woofers anywhere I want it. And I'm putting two fifteens in a sealed box in front of the car. Mm-hmm. But, was. I was just going to say in the front or in the back. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it's going to have two fifteens where the engine was. Um, so the whole firewall is cut out and it's going to uh, have a left and a right sub um, separate, separate enclosures. Um, but there is going to be two fifteens in the back as well. And that's um, uh, going to do SPL with the two fifteens in the back just because there's a part of the competition for that. And uh, I need the SPL. Uh, not that I couldn't do it with the other ones, but just, you know, for the wow factor, getting in there and having that, you know, impact. Um, but that one's going to be ported, and there's mm-hmm. double whammy on that one. So uh, there's a Herzog resonator, I believe is what they call it. Um, so it's like blowing into a bottle and you get that sound. It actually will absorb some of that sound, so... One of the problems with having a big open area like that is you can actually have subs in the front and they'll sound like they're coming from the back. So it's like like in home audio, they call it the black box. You sit it in the corner and it takes out some of that. Um, you know, it makes it sound like the sub's supposed to come from where it's supposed to be. So that's the design uh, parameters for that. And the woofers won't be the same, so we got to play around with it a little bit. But that's the, that's the goal. Every, whenever you... Do something, especially this large of a system. 
Um, you start out with a grand plan of ideas and then the world works against you. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, my eyes look at at something and go, wow, look at all that room there. I can fit this. And you go, Oh, if I just had another two inches. (laughs) Right. And it's funny that you say that. So this kind of segues into like kind of planning each job, right? Because some Mm -hmm. people, especially in the, the age that we're in. And I think Tom does a good job. Tom Miller does a good job Mm -hmm. of drawing out certain sketches, but in a lot of those cases, they're modular type designs. So you really don't have to take a lot of space constraint into consideration because some of the enclosures are kind of modular, but in the case of like where, you know, if you get a pool designed, if you get a house design, like you're working with very predictable spaces and you can easily kind of sketch that out and give a good look of what that's going to look like for, for us, it's very difficult because there's so many things that have to come into consideration. Like you got to make it serviceable. You got to make it functional. You got to hide the equipment. You got to make it look good. It's got to fit the adjoining panels and you really don't know until you know, and kind of like what you were saying about how the whole world works against you and you go into it with an idea. I would say 60 to 70% of everything I create is based on the initial idea, but the rest of it is literally you're making puzzle pieces to fit the space and to make it look finished, right? So a lot of the layers of trim that happen after the initial, that's all just based on me looking at it, trying to solve that problem of making it look finished. You know, that's where all those trim pieces come from. It's not like I didn't plan that. Like I would have never drawn that. It's just, that's how it worked as I'm working, trying to finish it off. No, I totally agree. I had this grand idea that it was going to be very minimalistic on the inside. It's going to have a single seat. Seat's going to motorize um, to get in. Um, Originally, I wanted the seat to to roll out to the door. So you'd sit in it and it would pull you in. Um, uh, until you get a Tesla seat and it's really fat at the top of it. And when you roll it in, it, it's still a foot away from the door. So that, you know, that's the first, you know, uh, the world working against you. And then uh, the amps were going to go on the floor and I had all this white plexi and it was going to be all black interior except for the white seats, a very striking difference in color combination. And then when you pulled everything off, you have this backlit white plexi amp rack with copper amps and that was my initial thought you know it's going to be very uh, 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 2001 space odyssey look you know when they go in from the derby ship into the real clean room that kind of thing the amps were just a little bit too big when i started laying them in there i go man there's a whole car because we cut out the entire floor um, built a frame airbagged it cross-membered, uh, double-walled steel with sound dampening and, and foam in between the two layers of steel and the, and the, the one-by-two steel tubing. But when you started laying everything in there, the layout just was cramped, and I didn't want it cramped. So back to the drawing board, and, you know, I have to do something else. You know why I've always liked you, Brian? Because you always try and push the limits. And not take the easy way out. Yeah, especially on this one. So, this the goal of this car was: what would I do? Every other car I used to have to drive to shows, so that was a limiting factor. 
and I said, what would I do if I didn't, if I was not limited to anything? And um, so taking out the motor, you had to drive the car in order to, to be uh, in a competition circuit, it has to be able to move. There's no real limit on how far it has to move, but it ha does have to move. Um, so keeping in budget, going down and buying a Tesla drivetrain was out of the question. Um, so I looked at the front end and I said, you know, it'd be really cool if we could just mate something to the CV axle, the factory CV axle. Uh, so I started looking around and what I could do with that. And they make um, a small trailer mover. And I said, well, if they make a small trailer mover, how do they make the small trailer mover and make it cost effective? Because they're selling it for a thousand bucks. So, the, you know, whatever they did, I can reproduce that. Well, they use a small winch motor on it. A Harbor Freight winch motor. It's fifty nine dollars. <laughs> now you're talking. You're talking. You're talking straight Gary right now. Right. Right. <laughs> so I got Gary's getting a job in his pants. <laughs> I got out and buy a couple of winch motors, and and I mated them to the CV axles. And um, I said, well, it's got to be serviceable because service uh, serviceability is a huge thing for me. Um, I never build anything that if I get to a show and it breaks, I can't replace. Uh, if I had the equipment. I, so, so you got backup winch motors on Anderson connectors to plug right in when you <laughs> don't even don't even need that. It bolts into the factory um, uh, brake hub because winches are also brakes. So that eliminated two things. It um, uh, so we just milled out the inside of a, a piece of aluminum that mates to the CV axle, took all the nuts out of it, and it slides in, and it has a bracket that goes to the to the um, from the motor to the to the CV axle and it turns with it. All stuff. Oh, that's awesome. Two bolts, you can pull the whole thing out and you go down to Harbor Freight and buy another one for $59, no matter where you're at, because it's Harbor Freight in every single town, or just about. So, that's awesome. very inexpensive way to get a drivetrain. Um, but then I had steering. Well, originally, the whole purpose to get in this car is because was, I was you know, getting some parts off it for one of my other ones and there was this little nub on the firewall and I said oh man I can put a little little um, rotisserie motor on that nub and I can make it turn like that and I can not have a steering wheel and it morphed into this um, but when I started to do that you had to have power from the engine to use the steering column so I got a Mustang 2 steering column took out the original one and then Robert welded in some brackets on our uh, frame rails that we built and put a Mustang 2 steering column in it with another winch motor attached to the front. <laughs> so I have a total of three uh, Harbor Freight $59 winch motors that do all the steering and driving. I was going to say, I think we spent a few dollars more than that when we did the electric yeah. steering in the Sinister Six. I think, yeah. I think we might have spent a little more than $59. It, it, probably, it probably was quieter, though, because winch motors. But I uh, got full lock-to-lock -lock steering, um, a little slow. I didn't want it to, to do anything, you know, fast. Um, and then uh, I made it all this stuff to uh, some $39 bumper sensors. The aftermarket uh, uh, distance sensors. They have the three levels on the, the little cheesy thing. Well, all you got to do is just make a cutoff relay. So when it gets to that red level, 
it cuts the relay, turns the relay on, and stops forward movement or backward movement. Again, so the whole safety and everything else is less than 300 bucks. And just, again, it's a little louder than what I would like when it's all done. Hopefully it'll be, you know, we'll have a box in enough that it'll be quieter, but I can deal with the with the with that part of it because it's really not supposed to drive too much. You know, it's just supposed to be into place. And, so. They still listen for uh, engine noise and competition systems? No, I had they had to change that because of me. <laughs> Um, engine noise is uh, not a requirement because I've had the two electric cars and they can't turn the engine on to do that so they had to take that out That's and now there's quite a few electric cars competing so they you know, a few Teslas and other stuff but uh, so many of these things are are ideas that we've come up with and we'll look at it that the 49 inch tv that's the dash so it's a 49 inch curved screen that goes from both sides of the dash completely and we hung it on an original um, mount for it um that was because we were we had some guys over we were doing a tweak and tune and one of the guys says you know what that's almost the shape of a curved tv and i said okay and while they were standing there i drove down to best buy (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> came back and, oh, I think that'll fit right in there. The only bad thing about that is it's a 49 and it's a little bit too too close, so we might have to downsize it to a 43. Oh. So. Yeah, just cut the car right down the middle. And extend it. it. <laughs> well, I saw that one that they did, that uh, rolls that they did for Justin Bieber. Yeah. And it's the original concept car, and that's made me think, do I want to motorize the roof up? Yeah. Uh. Fancy. Yeah, I wish I wish we would have had one more big car at Alpine. Like before I left, I wish I would have done. We Brent and I had some plans for a really really fun one that someday maybe maybe we'll have Brent on and I'll have him uh, resketch the the ideas that we had for it. But it was uh, I kind of miss those days of building crazy crazy stuff and watching you go to town on this thing has been. Uh, that seems like it'd be a lot me. of fun to just yeah. no no limits. Like if you just, if I had the time to build something where there was no constraints and it just build something badass that doesn't have to be functional in the sense yeah. of like a daily driver. Cause again, yeah. my, I'm just always stuck in the, the function, right? Because to, yeah. all the stuff that I'm doing, it's a lot of these guys are either daily drivers or, you know, it's, it's gotta be functional. So, I mean, it's fun every now and then when I get a client where I get to do a trunk that it doesn't have, like they almost request it not to be functional. And like the only one that I can think of off the top of my head is I did a a Callaway Camaro ZL1. Yeah. Yeah. Where it's like, you really couldn't, I mean, you could, if you wanted to like set a bag in there, but like it was like acrylic and open and stuff like that. So it, in a sense, it wasn't functional. Um, but like I never, I never get cool stuff like that. Yeah. (laughs) I always have to make it functional. Yeah, and, and like I said, that was the one thing on this car uh, that I'm building is that all that was out the window. Um, anything that was still going to function at the end of it was had to have something cool that went along with it. Mm-hmm. So um, door handles, for example. So my plan for the door handles is um, you know pretty simple door with a... Um, uh, armrest door handle and the armrests aren't going to be used because the seat's in the middle of the damn car. Mm-hmm. 
but to have the armrest and you tilt the armrest up and it pulls the the you know the to open the door because it's cable driven door handles. Mm-hmm. So that's it looks like an armrest, but it's really the handle for the door. And every single thing is like that. So um, we took the windows and locks are all data bus driven and we've interfaced with that. So they'll all work off of the touchscreen for the computer because everything's going to run off computer. Um, so we've got some uh, networking gear and I have one of our team guys writes software, Robert McIntosh, and he's writing a custom program that will have all this cool interface for it. Um, I still have to do a, an armrest of some sort, so think Captain Kirk-ish, because I need to have the computer, some kind of a screen right there to operate everything off of. I mean, I can do it hands-free, but it doesn't work as good. I want something a little more touch-sensitive. Did you go as far as to, like, obviously you're building this to sound as good as humanly possible in, in the car. Did you get into, like, going all the way into like seeing the effects of the seat on how you perceive the sound, like how, how far, like what's, what, what's the craziest stuff you've done to, you know, try to maximize the sound quality of the vehicle. So the, the seat and some other interior panels that will be after, um, uh, the interiors in, we'll work on some of those things. Uh, just from the initial standpoint of the, um, uh, the design, um, the roof, we actually, I went and picked up another, if you watch some of my f- Facebook posts, I went and picked up another um, another Volt. And I needed some of the parts for this one. And some of the leftover parts, I said, well, we're cutting the top off it and we're going to make, turn it upside down so we can shape the top of it flat. Wow. <laughs> Like a, a recording studio has a lot of um, sound diffusers in it, and we're going to build that into the roof, but flat. So cutting it off and then flipping it upside down. They'll make real good pictures. It'll be cool to, to watch because very few people are going to take another car and chop the pieces up. And... Yeah. Sounds cool. That's awesome. Um, we're getting close to our, our time, so I think to bring this all together, we're going to... We're going to go to our new segment, which is we've added a playlist on Spotify where each week Matt and I talk about a song. You're going to be the first one where we uh, we reach out to you. Um, but we've basically we pick a song that we added the playlist each week, something that we use when we're evaluating systems, um, just something to kind of help the people out there in, in car audio land expand their music collection. And, and so we'd love to hear you kick it off and something that's unconventional, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't pick thriller is what Matt's saying. (laughs) Um, Um, unconventional, uh, and, it, and I know that there's always different types of songs that you listen to for certain things that you're evaluating, but, um, I, th- I feel like most people are going to have a good four or five tracks that right off the bat, you're going to hit when you're looking for, you know, imaging and making sure things are where they're supposed to be that have enough going on in it. That is really going to, we, we do a, a pretty standardized list that we have a disc. Um, Fred Lynch came up with a whole bunch of songs that we've used for 
eight years at least, solid. Um, uh, started out with uh, Jai Cash, uh, but these aren't songs that I listen to to really listen to the system. So I'm not sure if that's if you want the tuning ones or if you want the ones that I would evaluate the system with just overall. I, yeah, I feel like it could go either way. Yeah, I prefer I prefer to hear something that you actually enjoy listening to. I always right. I I get. You know, the the joke is Spanish Harlem, right? Like everybody is sick of listening to Spanish Harlem. Like what what is it that you want to put on and right. listen so to? Right. So this and enjoy the car or, that you're building now. You know, what's the when, first song you're gonna play? What's the first song that you're like, man, I'd I i would like to hear this in it? Or or that you were given Matterai a demo in it. What is it that you'd play? So uh Lullaby for a Stormy Night is a very, very good old song. Um, been around for a long time. A lot of guys used it. Um, and then, because mine, I, I do so many demos, it's, uh, sometimes it's a little hard to, hard to pick one. Um, and then Lost Without You, Afraid uh, of Writings, is a really, really emotional song. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, that's one that if it's played in a good system can bring tears to your eyes if you've yeah, yeah, you're for broken sure. or something. So uh, probably those two, if I was listening to, to regular music. Um, I'm so demanding. I mean, I'll, I mean, I'll give a Tupac demo. You know, uh, uh, That's one of my favorite ones, and I'll give an SQ demo of a Tupac. Uh, uh, and everybody goes, I don't never heard an SQ song by Tupac and, and <laughs> people go, oh my God. And then you point out little things that you can hear in the recording because the recording value is really good. You can actually hear him run out of breath while he's singing. He's really trying to get the rest of the verse out and he's all the, the, the air has left his lungs. Mm-hmm. And then you can hear it breathe in. Um, okay. Gary. So you're the first one, you're the first outsider to, uh, to add, a, add to the list. We're going to give you the two. I, I always try to keep Matt to one because Matt wants to come in with a list of 20 songs. Each oh, week. no. I, 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 <laughs> yeah, and, and there's always a new one. I'm always on the search for the new perfect song that, that shows off something, uh, you know, extra special. Um, now, did we ever answer the question about what the equipment is? <laughs> well, I don't think we, okay. we're, we're, we're choosing equipment. I think, you know, us asking you based on, you know, subwoofer choice, like, are you doing vented, sealed, whatever, in an optimum setup? You know, I think we kind of went over, you know, door placement, kick panel, you know, you prefer the four as a mid-range over, you know, traditional three. So um, I think we answered a lot of the questions of what you find important in a SQ build. And I'm excited that we got to, we kind of got to talk about the new build and the big build and kind of that, that, putting things into perspective from the, you know, here's how we get from a $3,500 system to what, if you walked in and you paid retail, I would assume that if, if a customer came to me and wanted to build what you're building, Brian, I've got to assume it would be 400,000 probably by the time we are done. I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking I mean, 400. Yeah. 400 K that's, I mean, really it's only. Now you are basically talking about yeah, rebuilding a car from scratch. Yeah, we, I mean we added a frame, a full frame. I mean the whole car could be picked up from the frame now. It's not even not even a it's a real frame to the car. Um, I mean I guess if I had that much money I'd probably put a Tesla rear in it. 
Yeah. Yeah. If you're going, if you're paying, if you're paying for the retail hours of it, there's a, at that point, the, the Tesla mo- dual motor setup for the rear is yeah. not going to seem expensive. Yeah, no. What about you, Matt? What's your song of the week? So the first couple songs that I always play are always based on immediately evaluating center image and then also trying to see how wide the image can get. And I think the perfect song for that that I use all the time is Ben Harper, Susie Blue. If you haven't heard it yet, Brian, it's a good track because the beginning of it, it's it sounds like it's coming from a mono speaker, one of those old timey like wind up speaker things. Mm-hmm. So his his vocals always have to be like pinpoint center, right? And I like it too because it sounds all, you know, shitty and compressed coming out of that little speaker. And then all of a sudden, like the whole band kicks in, mm-hmm. right? And then it goes it's like it's going from like old school black and white to like 4K. So you're listening to it and you can immediately tell the customer sitting in the car, we have the speakers on the side, there's nothing in the center, but like, it's like clear as day, like radiating out of the center because it has to be, it's (laughs) how it's recorded. And, uh, And then once the instrumentation kicks in, it gets so wide and you're just like, oh my God, because you're, you're listening to that, that mono crappy voice for like 15 to 20 seconds. So it like sets this like image in your head. You're like, well, okay, whatever. This doesn't sound great, but you know, whatever. And then all of a sudden the whole band kicks in and you're like, oh my God, mid into the song, maybe a minute, a minute and a half in, there's this like really rad, like oboe solo. It's awesome. You just, you got to listen to it. Very cool. Um, I'm adding it to the playlist now. And it's a, and it's a really Ben Harper. I, I don't know if you've, listen to much of his stuff but he's got a lot of really good recorded albums i have to listen to him. i don't think i've had to look i have so much stuff i'm not sure i probably listen to it all the time and haven't been known whose name it is what what do you use for a source brian like in your in the the current cadillac you're using the factory radio with uh, nav tv uh, gm650 nav tv yeah and when you're competing that's how you're going in you're going like usb into the radio and then yep. Special. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Um, What you're uh, talking about was um, uh, Pentatox Hallelujah. That one does similar. It's a it's a real strong center, but just it's like he's got a like he's standing in a little room. Opens up, it's a big auditorium. It's got huge background singers, and you just get the sense of space. That's crazy. Gary, I I feel like I'm going to go for an, another fun one, something different. And yeah, I haven't done normal. any fun ones yet. I've just done kind of the traditionals. Um, so this week I'm going to go with there's a I don't even know if you call him a group or it's a I don't know it's it's called Scott Bradley's Postmodern Jukebox, and they it's like big band type background instruments. And they get just great singers to come do covers of songs. And they tour. They tour all over the world. They do a bunch of stuff. And one of the performers, her name is Haley Reinhardt. And uh, she does a version of the White Stripes' uh, Seven Nation Army. And it's uh, just 
it's awesome. It's just insane. It's a song that you know. It's very dynamic. And this is the one that I always use that has this snapping coming from the right side. And it's one of the first songs I always play because it lets me know that the right and left speakers are, are hooked up correctly. Um, I use it in a lot of customer demos. We talked about this, Matt, when I, we had that that car cut or the... Mm -hmm. uh, that truck come in with that big system and I play a song for three seconds and I know instantly whether um, whether they have the channels correct and if it has a center image when she comes in she's you know right there in the center and really shows the channel separation good too so and it's definitely a fun fun song because you know it and to hear it kind of slowed down and fits the vibe of our old-fashioned podcast well, nice. I'll have to listen uh, to, to all those so yep all right. Well, uh, we thank you for your time, Brian. We uh, we will probably, I would assume, we will have you back on again in the future. We're just, we feel like we're we're still in season one and just getting going. And hopefully, we do this for a long time. And uh, we appreciate your insight. A few of them, and the the recording value is is very high. Um, so uh, you're doing a good job of. Uh, of uh, editing those, Matt. <laughs> yeah, thank you. So it's never easy. It's very time consuming. <laughs> yeah, for, for those That's of you, for, sure. for those of you listening at home, Matt spends a insane amount of time editing these. I had somebody asking me about the podcast, and but I feel like by the time we're prepped, we're recording, we're editing, we're promoting and putting it out there between Matt and I, we probably have ten hours an episode into doing this. So yeah, it's definitely a little more work than we expected when we started, yeah, especially but. some of them, some of them have been like three hours. So if you just do the math in your head, it's minimum three hours to edit, to listen to the whole thing. And you're pausing it numerous times and, you know, just taking certain noises out. If somebody's clicking a pen in the background, that's, that's you know, squeaky toys. whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. Squeaky dog toys, whatever it is, you know, it's just, I try and, I try and make it as seamless as possible, take out like any kind of dead air pauses or anything like that, that we have. So, yeah, I mean, it's tough and, you know, to try and make all the mics sound similar starting, I think next season, I have a different mic setup. actually the same mic that, uh, Michael Jackson used in thriller. There it is. With that's thriller a little, again. That's, yep. That's a little tidbit. My new mic setup. Well, I'll try to get a better mic if I do this again. On my desk at the office, I have a, a much better setup. So we'll have to, we'll have to do one during the day. Yeah. Oh. Well, yeah, well, we cool. appreciate it. And uh, like I said, I don't care what other people say about you. Your cars always sound great. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care what you said. <laughs> I don't care what they say about you. You okay, my book. Right on. And if anybody wants to buy Matt a drink for uh, all his hard work editing, we'll uh, we'll put an address into the onto the Facebook Yeah, that needs to happen, Stat, because before we recorded, I told Gary, I said, look what I'm drinking. And he goes, it looks like you're drinking water with with an orange peel in it. And I said, no, I'm out of whiskey and I'm having a tequila old-fashioned. <laughs> that was a thing. Yeah. So I drank a tequila old-fashioned tonight because I'm all out of whiskey. And no whiskey. Gary's hanging on to all the bottles that he's gotten, but I've I've blown through all of them. <laughs> irresponsibly but yeah well you know probably i'm here probably because of all the stress of editing these yeah. podcasts 
So, whatevs. All right. Well, cheers to you, brother. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. We'll we definitely talk it. to you again, and I can't wait to uh, see you in person again uh, and soon, sit in one of your yeah. vehicles again. Hopefully we're going to have some something, a knowledge fest or, like I said, Texas will have that show, but um, uh, they need to have some kind of training, at least in Florida. Everything else is open in Florida. We should have something in Florida. <laughs> yeah, everything's everything's open in Florida. Everything's right? open in Florida. Yep, so. yep. All right. Thank you. Cool. cool. I appreciate All it. Right. Right. Take night. care.